We found 81% wow. THC. That's huge. 81%. I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, as the cannabis referendum draws closer, we're talking THC. Tetrahydrocannabinol. So this is the main psychoactive component of cannabis. What does it do to us? There's a whole bunch of changes in the brain architecture that go on during mid-adolescence in particular that make it far more sensitive to any substance. And the big question... What's worse, booze or pot? When you weigh up THC and ethanol, would you say that one is definitively worse from a societal point of view than the other? Yes. You might have seen recently the TV3 broadcast of Patrick Gower's On Weed series looking at the proposed legalisation of cannabis and some of the issues at play. And this episode revolved heavily around THC. Like Uruguay, New Zealand is proposing a THC limit, kept at 15% for dried cannabis. This whole debate is full of so much jargon that today I'm getting a bit of help to answer some questions around the chemical makeup of cannabis, such as, what is THC? Dr Joel Rindelaub is an analytical chemist at Auckland University School of Chemical Sciences. Tetrahydrocannabinol, so this is the main psychoactive component of cannabis, it is a cannabinoid, so that just means the, the type of molecule that it is, the structure of it. And uh, this is the stuff that will get you really, really high. Okay, what does high mean? So in this case, with cannabis, um, there's a wide range of uh, effects that someone can feel. Um, just like with any drug, if you go to the GP, you know, it might be able to have certain effects on you, but there could also be certain uh, side effects that might not be wanted. So with um, cannabis, usually people are reporting that they're kind of euphoric. You know, you're happy, you're giggly, you might be more relaxed, uh, you might be more sensitive to, um, like, sounds and music or touch or, like, colors and things like that. So, like, THC is in cannabis, right? Correct. And then you take the cannabis in whatever form, maybe you smoke it or you eat it. How does it make you high? What happens with the THC then? So what it does is it binds to uh, certain cellular receptors. Um, they're called the CB uh, receptors, cannabinoid receptors. A lot of them happen to be in your brain. So if you can think of it as this molecule is binding to um, an antenna where different cells talk to each other. And some of these uh, cells and these receptors that it binds to are controlling things like mood or appetite or pain. Uh, so it's really um, a chemical interaction that happens in your brain. Does all cannabis have THC in it? No, not necessarily. Um, there are different strains, um, especially as it gr grows in popularity. You can have uh, different amounts of THC uh, versus CBD, which is cannabidiol, which is a non-psychoactive component of cannabis, uh, which might have different uh, effects on your body. Um, and there's a whole host of different cannabinoids. There's over 100 different known um, chemicals that are in similar structurally that all could have Slightly different uh, effects on the body, but THC is the main one that we know is uh, psychoactive. Yeah, because we hear about CBD oil, right? Like that's something that's used to treat certain sorts of ailments or, you know, used in a medicinal context. Is there, is there a pronounced difference between THC and CBD? Yeah. Um, so chemically, they are uh, different. They're similarly structurally, but they are have different chemistries and different effects on the body itself. So... Um, there has been some, I guess, movement to try to make uh, CBD more available worldwide. Like the World Health Organization has said, you know, we should stop putting restrictions on it because there doesn't seem to be many, um, you know, negative 
health effects, and there may be some therapeutic benefits. Um, in fact, in 2018, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has actually approved CBD um, for the treatment of epilepsy. So THC and CBD are both cannabinoids. The difference is THC gets you what we might call stoned or intoxicated. CBD doesn't, though it does have some effects. Both of them are used in cannabis-derived medicines, but THC often in far smaller quantities. This is why athletes might take CBD oil, for example, and it has effects, but it doesn't get them high. Now, Joel used an interesting term there, psychoactive, and Maybe it's the psycho prefix, but that word kind of sounds a little scary to me. So what does it actually mean? Uh, it does sound a little scary, but so does, I guess, the term drug in, in you know, a colloquial sense can also um, inflict some sort of fear. So psychoactive just basically means that it influences your brain to, like, to change your mood or behavior. So if you were to take uh, Panadol, let's say your brain was telling you your back hurt. So you would take Panadol, and now all of a sudden your brain is telling you that, hey, my back doesn't hurt. Maybe I should go play that footy in the park this morning. Okay. So can you guess actually what the most widely popular psychoactive drug is in the world? Alcohol. If, if, alcohol? Close. Oh, ha, caffeine. Caffeine. Caffeine, yes. yes. Hey. So caffeine is a wildly popular um, psychoactive drug that... A lot of people just take uh, without thinking about it every day. So if we think of like, if we think of cannabis as being an intoxicant, is the THC component of it kind of like the ethanol component in, in alcohol? Is that like a, an analogous kind of kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's a good way to look at it. Um, so THC content can vary within your uh, various cannabis strain. Uh, much like uh, the alcohol or, or the ethanol content was going to be different in your beer to your wines to your spirits. All of this stuff affects our brain, right? Like that's what gives us the feeling of being drunk or being high. Yes. People talk about the long-term negative effects of smoking lots of pot or the long-term negative effects of drinking lots of booze, on your brain anyway. Not really the long-term effects of drinking lots of coffee. Are these things, are these psychoactive substances inherently bad for us? So what you're saying, are drugs melting your brain? Yeah, more or less. <laughs> um, that's a good question. And um, you, well, let's take a look at caffeine, for instance. Okay. So caffeine is widely used. And maybe, you know, every few months or something, you'll say a study that said, oh, coffee is really good for you. Or then the, the next month, you'll see one that says, oh, coffee is terrible for you. When we look at this kind of effect, we have to look at the collection of all the published literature, not just the latest one that is grabbing the headlines. And so what we, when we do this, we see that there's a lot of um, uncertainty in something like caffeine of how um, it affects you long term. And so similarly, right now, based on the amount of research that we've been able to do on cannabis – it's kind of in a similar boat where we don't know exactly what um, the long-term effects could be. Just because something is psychoactive doesn't inherently mean that it's bad for you, but it certainly could be. Okay. Anybody who's been drunk and stoned can tell you that they're very different kinds of feelings. But on a chemical level, is there much difference in terms of what's actually happening? Yeah, so uh, there is quite a bit difference because you're still, uh, with ethanol, you're still, um, you know, binding to these receptors in your brain, so these transmitters of how your cells talk to each other. Uh, but this time it's targeting a different type of receptor. So in this case, you're, what you're doing is you're doing a lot of inhibition. And so that means, like, a lot of the things you're seeing are, you know, um, you know depressed um, uh, respiratory systems, so your breathing might slow down, your heart rate might slow down. 
Um, you're going to maybe lose coordination. You're going to um, lose your inhibitions. You might be talking more. So basically um, what ethanol does, it is um, an inhibitor. It's a, it's a sedative, whereas THC um, will be focusing on a different set of receptors that have uh, different controls on the body. What sorts of control? So in this case, uh, the CB uh, receptors, um, there's two main ones that, um, that kind of that we understand that it um, attracts to. One is uh, the lesser one is kind of in the immune system, uh, and the main one, the CB1 receptor in the brain, does control things like um, a, you know, maybe some anxiety, mood, appetite, pain, um, and things like that. So there's a, there's a, is a lot of um, uncertainty in exactly how um, these effects materialize uh, pharmacokinetically throughout uh, the body, uh, which is why there needs to be more research into um, this kind of effects. That question of the long-term effects of cannabis use is still very much up in the air. One of the reasons is that cannabis is illegal, so studying its effects, particularly in adolescents, is a bit of a fraught process. But New Zealand is also in a great position to look at this question because of the Dunedin study. The Dunedin Multidisciplinary Health and Development Study, directed by Professor Richie Poulton, has gathered information over the past 45 years about the lives of 1,037 people born in 1972 and 73. In June of this year, Poulton drew on the Dunedin study, as well as the very similar Christchurch study, to produce a report on the patterns and consequences of recreational cannabis use. Among its findings, about a quarter had a genetic predisposition to psychosis and should stay away from cannabis altogether. 80% of those studied had tried cannabis at least once by the age of 30. And about a quarter of people had done so by the age of 15. And Richie Poulton told Kim Hill on RNZ Saturday Morning Show, this is bad news. So the key, the bottom line, or the key message there, and thank goodness, and we say this in the paper, virtually everyone understands this take-home message, is that you must, whatever you decide to vote, whichever way you decide to vote, and whatever the outcome, you, we must ensure that young people are given a clear, um, agnostic, non-judgmental picture of the risks that come with that period of life in using cannabis. Uh, once you get through to um, any time really past age 18, the risk, interestingly, washes out. Youth uh, use of cannabis is something that we're getting a lot of evidence now that says that this could actually affect um, cognitive function and brain development in um, you know, growing minds. This is a serious problem and something that any sort of legislation should try to address um, because cannabis use is you know, as you mentioned, pretty popular here in New Zealand, and that's something that we want to um, try to bring down uh, in any case. But uh, just talking about, like, the certain specific studies, you'll see that um, people that have reported cannabis use in high school might have higher dropout rates or lower test scores, things like that. But um, what's kind of difficult from a science point of view is, well, is this because of maybe a socioeconomic situation? People that are trying to rebel, are they more likely to try cannabis or is it because that they've taken cannabis that they're rebelling? So it's um, a difficult study, but um, something that we're, try we're getting more and more data on um, every day. But even Richie Poulton's study has an unknown quantity to it, which is the strength of the cannabis smoked, the amount of THC in it. The cannabis people smoke in 2020 is way stronger than back in the day, meaning it has higher THC levels. 
And cannabis with high THC levels can have very different short and possibly long-term effects. So this is basically uh, the percentage of the product that is THC by weight, or um, also THCA, which is the carboxylic acid version of THC um, that turns into THC when you smoke it. So that's just some nerdy talk, uh, basically the, the stuff that gets you high. What does a higher THC level mean practically? Practically, it means that you're going to ingest or absorb a higher amount of the psychoactive component, which means you're going to get blazed out of your brain, uh, cheesed out of your cranium, and other fun ways to describe getting faded. All right. I know that if I go to a bar and I do 10 shots of tequila in two hours, I'm going to be really drunk at the end of that, and I'm going to get progressively more drunk the more tequila that I drink. Is that the same with THC? The higher percentage of THC pot that I smoke, the more stoned I'm going to get? Yeah, that is, that's a, a good way of looking at it. So um, if you're taking 10 shots of tequila, like you're going to have a pretty interesting night. Pardon, yeah. If you smoke 10 joints of um, high THC cannabis, um, yeah, you're also going to have a pretty interesting night. Is it too clumsy an analogy to say it's kind of like a 4% beer versus like a, a 40% tequila? Sh- you know, the, um, intellectually, it's on the same kind of thing? Yeah, that, that, that's a good way of looking at it. So your low uh, THC kind of strains might be your uh, cheeky little beer. Um, and then, you know, you can progress and maybe you'll get your Kingfisher Strongs all the way to your heavy-duty Belgian. Belgian craft beers. And then all of a sudden, now you're into the spirits range and things are getting interesting for your night yeah okay and what is the general is there a general range of thc among marijuana that most people would smoke yeah um i believe there has been uh, you know just some surveys in new zealand um i guess that documentary you talked about would probably dig into this a little bit deeper but previously um the highest that we've seen was kind of in the 20 percent range um usually it's maybe around 10 to 15 percent something like that would be considered kind of the um the higher range um but of course as technology and demand has increased the um, amount of these really high uh, percentage thc products have made it to the market under the proposed legislation there would be a limit of 15 percent thc on recreational cannabis being sold in a store tv3's patrick gower collected five illicit cannabis samples from around the country and had their thc levels tested in a government lab In the 1970s, the government laboratory, ESR, tested THC levels in cannabis materials seized by the police at around 1% to 5% THC. But right now, we don't really know what's out there. So if we look at from the lowest ranking, that was our sample number three. Okay, the bushweed. And that contained 14%. Under the proposed legal limit of 15%, that would be able to be sold in a recreational market. The next one we're going up and yeah. it contains 17% THC. Gandalf's over the proposed limit. And the next one that we found is this one. G13. And that contains 18% THC. So getting stronger. And the one with the highest THC is our sample four. That contained 21% THC. So this is getting up the Narawahia. All but one of the strains Gower tested came in over the legal limit, but there's no legal limit when it comes to growing at home, where a person can grow up to two cannabis plants or four for a household. So is there a danger that through legalising relatively low-strength cannabis, 
we're almost creating a secondary black market for high THC weed. I mean, you're right to think that the the black market will still exist if, for instance, uh, weed is made legal. Like people that are breaking the law aren't going to stop breaking the law mm. just because the law's changed. So um, that's that's definitely a concern and something that um, the government should consider and try to address. But the idea is that um, when it comes to the black market, what legalization intends to do is to not necessarily take immediately take over the whole market share, but into cut into it. Mm to provide a safer product for people that are going to use it and also reduce the amount of cash flow going to um, these illicit uh, manufacturing and growing facilities. So if we can take money out of the hands of gangs um, and if they force them to undercut their sales, so that's just uh, economically putting more, um, I guess, pressure on them rather than just you know police force. Uh, in itself. So that would be, I guess, the counter argument. But you are correct that uh, there could very possibly be a black market where people are interested in these super high THC content strains for a lower price or something like that. So that is um, something that um, any legislation should definitely try to address. You hear a lot about different strains having different effects on people, a relaxation high or like an energy high or whatever. Is that related to THC levels as well or is that like the strain of the plant? Okay, so let's science this one a little bit. Yes. Uh, So if you you go to one of those shops, you might hear someone say like an indica, um, which is one strain of cannabis versus a sativa, will have certain effects. They'll say like, well, indica might make you feel relaxed while it... Sativa might give you like some sort of energy head high or something like that. Um, that's what we call fake news. So the, um, the actual effects and the chemical components and the genetics of these um, cannabis plants um, and their subsequent effects on you cannot be determined just by whether um, how the plant looks as in an indica or a sativa based. So what is happening is the chemical components that are influencing um, your different types of highs. So with um, like uh, the CBD to THC ratio, that's one thing that is going to influence. The higher the amount of THC, the higher uh, feel that you might feel after smoking it, whereas CBD might be uh, better for things like if you have a lot of anxiety after smoking. You'd want something with a higher CBD content. Um, Of course, this is all based on preliminary research. And then there are some things called terpenes. which are in the plant itself, which we believe might also have an effect on the type of high you have. So these terpene molecules are um, things that are naturally um, in the, the plant material itself. So um, one terpene um, is pining, and this is also found in like pine trees. So it gives you that pine smell. Oh, okay. So um, another one is uh, limonene or limonene. And uh, this is found in, like, citrus fruit peels. So it gives you that kind of citrusy um, scent. So that's what that molecule is responsible for. But, if I, but we're, um, I guess, investigating whether these different mixtures of these other different components, non-cannabinoid uh, species within the, the cannabis plant itself, can influence uh, the type of high or your experience after smoking. When it comes to areas of life, driving, for an example... We have systems with alcohol, like a way of measuring intoxication. If you have fewer than two drinks in your system, you should be okay to drive. Is there a way of measuring someone's stonedness in in, in a similar kind of vein? So that is uh, one of the major issues right now um, is because 
blood THC levels uh, don't necessarily correlate to intoxication levels, or at least we haven't discovered some like limit where we can say, all right, your blood concentration is two nanograms per milliliter. We know that you're this level of stoned and you shouldn't be driving. So we don't necessarily have that equivalent uh, to alcohol right now, which um, makes things difficult. And that's going to be whether um, weed is legal or not. That that problem still exists. There is some technology that obviously analytical chemists are trying to develop so they can better uh, test these things. So one of them is a breath test. You know, you have a you know breath roadside test for ethanol. Um, they're trying to uh, implement the similar type of thing with uh, THC and cannabis. So there has been some progress in that um, in the recent years, and there's actually several that are actually under the prototype stages that are being tested currently around the world. But uh, right now, uh, we're not there yet. All right, I'm going to ask you to go out on a limb, and I imagine you're going to offer a much more nuanced answer. But like, when you weigh up THC and ethanol, defining it how you like, defining this term how you like, would you say that one is definitively worse from a societal or, 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 or sort of biological point of view than the other? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, so this is something that um, I guess a lot of people have studied because they want to know the impact of certain drugs on society. And currently in New Zealand, um, alcohol, that drug has the most negative impact on society. So that's personal harm, like I told, it's a carcinogen, you can die from taking it, but also societal harm um, through some of these violent crimes and other things as well. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Alex Aylett McMillan and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Dr. Joel Rindelau. Matewa. Matewa.